You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome all you wiretappers out there back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. I, uh, I have on the line here my friend Nate Henley, who is a Canadian true crime writer. You may see on my uh, Facebook page, I'll repost some of his stuff every once in a while. He, he's been on the show before. He's, uh, I think it was a boy on the bicycle about a, uh, a murder, a Canadian murder. Uh, we did uh, Lucky Luciano on the night of the Sicilian Vespers, which is kind of like the... Uh, the what would you call that the uh, 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 starting story of the modern modern mafia? I guess would be uh, uh, there's a, there's a better word for that, like the uh, the genesis of the modern mafia, maybe. So welcome, Nate. Uh, and Nate, I understand uh, I understand you just re-released uh, your book on Dutch Schultz, the beer baron of New York, or the the brazen beer baron of New York, and in an ebook. Which it hadn't been an ebook before, is that? Well, it had been an ebook. It, there's sort of this is the original book, and it had a strange. Speaking of Genesis, it had originally been published in 2005 by Altitude Publishing, and they sadly went out of business. It was republished by a company called Five Rivers, and now it's being published as an ebook by Dundurn Press in Canada. And it was just launched a couple days ago, available on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, and all those other good sources. Dutch Schultz was a character, is to, to put it mildly. Mildly, <laughs> he was he was a fascinating guy, and uh, he's first of all, uh, he was a Jewish American gangster, and he was really. No, he didn't really get along with his own peers, that he was very idiosyncratic. He did things his own way and a bit of a slob, too, is that other gangsters apparently were very appalled because he was really cheap and wouldn't buy good clothes and he had dandruff all over his hair. Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't play with, uh, you know, play with the team, so to speak. And he also in his own idiosyncratic way, uh, found incredibly new ways to make money. That, Like most gangsters, um, Dutch, who started off life as Arthur Flegenheimer, uh, went to prison as a teenager, came out, and his buddies all thought that was terrific and gave him a new name, Dutch Schultz. He originally started as a bootlegger in the Bronx and sold this terrible beer. His beer apparently was very low quality, um, but he would market it in such a fashion that everyone bought it uh, because him and his partner would threaten to beat the crap out of people if you didn't buy it. <laughs> so uh, he became very um, rich very quickly. He was also very violent. And he was smart enough to recognize the prohibition was on its last legs by the early 30s. So he diversified like a good businessman. He was based in New York City, and he sensed there was huge money in what was called the numbers racket. This was a this was something, basically it was a low-level lottery, uh, very popular in Harlem among the African-American community. You would pay like a dime. You get a ticket with had a three-digit three number on it. And every week um, they would pick a winning number from usually a stock market or baseball score. 
if you had the ticket, you won like 10 bucks. So it wasn't a lot, but I mean, buy you a week's worth of groceries and it was very low risk. I mean, you're not going to get arrested for buying you know, a numbers ticket. So Dutch senses real opportunity here. And the Italian mafia at the time wanted nothing to do with the Harlem numbers racket. They had dismissed it in very racist terms. You know, oh, it's not worth our time. Dutch sense, no, 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 there's big money there. And he forcibly takes it over and starts making about $8 million a year, which you have to multiply um, by about nine to get a sense of what it's worth nowadays. Becomes fantastically wealthy. And um, through numbers, he also did restaurant racketeering where um, he would approach restaurants and say, would you like to join my restaurant association? And if you said yes, terrific, just pay me your fee, you know, $1,000 a month or whatever. And if you didn't want to join, well, your windows would be broken and they throw stink bombs down your chimney and bad things would happen. And he also organized the wait staff. So he played with both ends. He organized all the servers into a union and basically told management, well, if you don't want a strike, at your restaurant, maybe you could pay me to uh, negotiate a deal. So played at both ends, becomes very wealthy, very unpopular with his peers, as I said, because he's not a game player. And he is persecuted by um, authorities on tax evasion charges. Because keep in mind, this is the 1935 or so, authorities had nailed Al Capone on tax evasion. Right. So they thought, let's do it again. Let's get Dutch Schultz. Mm-hmm. Dutch Schultz became public enemy number one following Al Capone's incarceration. So they put Schultz on trial twice, and he wins. <laughs> he actually beats the rap. Oh, I think I read about this. Didn't they do that in a rural area yes. of New York and, and where he went into town and was Mr. Yes. Charm Offensive? Yes. He was one of – he was – Two trials, and one of them was in Malone, New York, a little tiny community. And yeah, he goes into town a week before, throws money around. I'm Mr. Big, you know, Mr. Big Shot. And he also very cleverly frames his case like, I'm just a businessman, and this big evil government is coming after me for my money. And small town people could kind of relate to that. So yeah, he gets he gets off. Yeah. <laughs> His his mob buddies cannot believe this because they're actually licking their lips. They can't wait till he goes to jail so they can take over his <laughs> empire. And just to segue to another little anecdote, um, Dutch Schultz is the originator of the mob legend of um, cement shoes. Yes, oh, really? that Dutch darn. had a uh, one of his associates sort of turned against him, and the legend was again like. Obsters don't leave behind memos, so some of this might be BS. But the legend was the Dutch and the boys took this associate on a boat off New Jersey into the Atlantic Ocean and had the guy stand in a tub of quick-drying cement and then tossed him overboard. And again, that might, might be true, might not be true, but that's where the legend starts, was with Dutch Schultz, which a lot of people didn't realize. And I don't know if I want to give away everything, but um, <laughs> let's just say he had a spectacular well, but short career. 
short career. You know, an interesting thing about that Bolito is in Chicago, it was the same way. They disdained the African-American gambling racket of Mm -hmm. the numbers Mm -hmm. game, and there was a lot of money in it. And uh, Sam Giancana, as he was coming up, uh, got to know one of the uh, operators of that, uh, a guy named Ted. uh, All of a sudden, I've lost his last name. But he got to know him, and he figured out there's a lot of Mm -hmm. money here. and I, I believe Ricardo was the, the boss at that time, and he's you know I you know I mess with that, but he ends up get moving in with him, helping him, learning the business, and then makes him an offer he right. can't refuse. And, and uh, Ted Teddy Rowe I think mm-hmm. was his name, and, and I think he he moved to Mexico with with his money. Ah, smart. <laughs> and they and, and then there was another, and, and I may be getting them mixed up. There was another uh, numbers operator that that refused to kowtow and. And they ended up shooting each other or shooting at each other and shooting. This guy shot and killed one of the outfit uh, mm-hmm. thugs that was trying to muscle him. And, and they ended up killing him oh. in the end. So there's a lot of money. You know, in Kansas City, we had the same thing. But the Italians never really mm-hmm. got into it. They they maintained a relationship mm-hmm. with the people that ran it. But as far as I could tell, they didn't really get into it it was uh but that was that's a pretty common thing probably in every large city from kansas city east was a black numbers racket yeah uh, numbers racket and and italians didn't want to get into it first but then realized the money that was in it and and got in yeah schultz Schultz, uh utilized um crude but effective methods to take over the racket that he found out who the top numbers bosses were in harlem who are mostly African-American or Hispanic, he would invite them to a meeting and he'd give them a proposal. He said, well, you basically have two choices, either like I kill you or you work with me. You can keep half your profits, but I get half your money or so and I make all the decisions. So most of the people said, okay, sure, I'll work with you. And the one person who resisted Dutch was Stephanie St. Clair. He was a fascinating character, African-American woman, which was quite unusual in crime circles at the time. And she very bravely stood up to Schultz. She ran ads in newspapers, denouncing him and exposing his connections to corrupt politicians. Hmm. No go. She Because she's you know female and she's African-American, no one listened to her. And strangely enough, um, Schultz, though, he took over her business, but he kept he didn't kill her. It was very, you know, and so she had the last laugh on him later on, but she was his most determined enemy. I'll skip forward a bit and just give you a little um, anecdote about his Dutch's last days because they were a little weird. Um, 1935, Dutch is hanging out in Newark, New Jersey. He's terrified to go back to New York City, which is his home base, because prosecutor Thomas uh, Dewey, who later ran for president of uh, the Republicans, was gunning for him, and Dewey was determined to put him in jail one way or the other. So the story goes that Dutch approached the commission, which is sort of this loose group of mob bosses who kind of administered, uh, you know, underworld activities in the um, New York City kind of New Jersey area. And he said, I want to kill Thomas Dewey, prosecutor. Because that was a protocol. If you want to kill some really high up person, you kind of had to get it cleared. And it was interesting because the, the commission, all these bad, lucky Luciano, all these bad dudes, and they're like, no, do not kill Thomas Dewey. 
And it had nothing to do with the goodness of their heart. It was that they knew if they killed the prosecutor, it would bring this incredible amount of police heat down on them. Like the law and order would just descend on the mob, like, you know, an avenging angel. And so they said, don't kill Dewey. Schultz lost his temper and said, I'll do it myself. I don't care. Like he's a hothead. And the commissioner all shocked by this. So, you know, they apparently set out a hit on Dutch Schultz to prevent him from killing a prosecutor. <laughs> so Schultz and three of his associates were shot in a uh, restaurant in New York, um, New Jersey, and none of them die right away. Um, Schultz lingers for a couple days and he's taken to hospital, develops a really high fever and he starts babbling. So police think, oh, this is a great opportunity to get some mob secrets. So they get a stenographer to sit next to him and his, the instruction is just write down everything he said. So the stenographer did. And what resulted was pages and pages of the most bizarre, like, it sounds like someone on LSD going on about, oh, communist baloney, onions, put up your onions. I don't know where you are, mother, mother, help me, help me. And it's this most bizarre soliloquy. And um, he eventually dies. And, um, uh, you know, like his, his monologue, he didn't reveal anything. And according, again, I keep saying according to legend, because, again, a lot of mob stuff, a little hard to confirm a few details. It's a legend. <laughs> uh, after he dies, apparently a telegram arrives from his old nemesis, Stephanie St. Clair. And it has a Bible quote says, as you reap, so you shall sow. Or as you sow, so you shall reap. Sorry. And so she gets the last laugh. Got the last laugh. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I just I just listened to a podcast on that Mafia mm -hmm. podcast about Stephanie Fascinating. I, fascinating I kinda, I'd heard that name, but yeah, she was fascinating. I mean, to yep. rise to the levels that she rose and, and have the money that she Very had. Very tough lady. Was just, yeah, that, that was amazing. Because, you know, that's a... That whole subculture in gambling in a big oh, yeah. city like oh, yeah. New York, that, that is a lion's Ooh. den, boy. I mean, that's whew, that kind of money. There's always somebody wanting to take that it away true. from you. They're like Dutch Schultz. That's right. There's always another Dutch Schultz that that's comes right. along so. in, in every city. There's a movie about him. Uh, God, I can't remember think of the guy's name that played him. But, boy, he was, he, he was a gross... Uh, 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 crude man, yes. <laughs> according to the way this guy well, played him, and it seems like that was that's, that's the way. He was that's right. There's been life. a few movies actually. The one I think you're thinking about is called Hoodlum, and it focuses on yeah. Stephanie St. Clair and her right hand man, this guy named Bumpy Johnson, and Tim Roth plays Doug, and he yeah, Tim total Roth, slaw. Yeah. He's like, yeah. got crumbs all over. <laughs> but there's another movie you might want to check out, um, Billy Bathgate which is based on an, a really good novel. And it has um, Dustin Hoffman plays Dutch Schultz, mm. playing him a little more highbrow. Um, and Nick, Nicole Kidman is in the movie as well. So, yeah, fascinating character and just a very, very strange gangster. Like, definitely not your typical mobster. Played by his own rules and kind of died in his own bizarre, idiosyncratic way. Mm. And uh, as I said, it's now an ebook. This is the paper book, but it's now an ebook. You can get it, get it on Amazon. All right, all right, Nate. Well, that's great. Uh, name off some of your other books so people <laughs> might want to okay. look those up. 
I know you've got a list. I could get, try to find sure. a list of them, uh, but you, I know you get them off the top of your head. So sure, sure. Um, I've written um, <laughs> uh, 14 books in total and some of the um, more noteworthy ones, The Boy and the Bicycle, which Gary just mentioned. It's about a Toronto wrongful murder conviction in 1956. Uh, the Big Con, that was for an American publisher, uh, ABC Clio, and that was about scams and frauds. And um, had a lot of fun writing that one. I've written books also on Bonnie and Clyde uh, and on Al Capone um, and um, on the American Mafia. And uh, America, I have one called American Gangsters, which covers uh, gangsters from the right from the Victorian era, like the Five Points Gang and um, right up to, uh, I think it was published about 10 years ago. So try to cover a wide gamut of uh, various people. I have a book coming out this November, December called The Beetle Bandit, which is about a very bizarre bank robber from uh, the Toronto area who uh, robbed a bank in 1964 wearing a Halloween mask and a beetle wig. And he shot and killed a patron who tried to intervene. And um, the case eventually became this nationwide cause celeb about the death penalty, insanity defense, and gun control. Um, the Beetle Bandit became one of the last people in Canada sentenced to hang. Uh, that one is coming out in November, and um, maybe we can talk about it. Okay, yeah, cool. We'll do a story on that. You know, I, did, okay. I just did one of your uh, authors up there, uh, Stephen Matelski, mm-hmm. who uh, is a, a college professor and a former undercover cop up there. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I did. I one of the more interesting Canadians that I've interviewed was Elaine Olivier, Uh-oh. who was, uh, they did a movie, God, I think it was called uh, The Witness or something like that. But he was, he was a guy that, uh, he was a heroin addict that another professional RCMP informant set him up and made it look like he was, could be a big time heroin distributor Ooh. from, uh, Thailand mm-hmm. and the RCMP jumped on it and they actually took him to Thailand and he tried to set him up on a deal on a multi-kilo heroin deal and it went wrong Uh-oh. And, and one of the Mounties got killed. I don't oh, know. No. I don't know what they were even doing over there. But uh, they, uh, in my world, you wouldn't have gone overseas no. to try to manage an operation, but they did. Wow. Got killed. He ends up with uh, a hundred year sentence in a Thai prison. Ooh. And the, he does not, he is not fond of the Mounties. It looks to me like one of the Mounties kind of went overboard to make sure he got convicted. Hmm. Uh, and and it looked bad on his part because this Mountie got killed in a in a drug deal that went wrong. And, and uh, I'm sure he, ha- he really had nothing to do with that. He was just a dumbass kid hmm. who had no connections at all. It's really an interesting, interesting story. Absolutely. He, he finally gets uh, sent back to... Canada, Canada, and and gets out almost immediately after they do some kind uh-huh. of a, a, a prisoner trading sure. thing. We'll get, 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 tie people yeah, in Canadian yeah. prisons with Canadians who are in Thai prisons. It's mm-hmm. a heck of a story. Interesting. Uh, there's a lot of crime. Oh, Paul Derry uh, uh, up in uh, Nova Scotia, I think he was yep. at the Hell's Angels and worked mm-hmm. undercover for the uh, RCMP for a while. And so there's a lot of a lot of good Canadian organized crime up there, Nate. That is true. That is true. No shortage of stories. <laughs> really? Yeah. Always a pleasure right, to Nate, talk. I appreciate it. I, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. And right. uh, 
nice talking and good luck with your own work. And okay, uh, thank you. You know, you take care, I'll, sir. I'll be I'll be in touch about that. Thanks for the tips. Thank you, Nate, Nate, folks. I'm thinking about writing my own book again, and Nate was giving me some tips before we started recording. So I appreciate little it. Little advice, little advice. All right. Thank I'll you, sir. Good luck with everything. Right. Bye. Well, folks, that ends another Gangland Wire episode. I just want to thank you all for listening and for all your nice Apple Podcast reviews and other podcast app reviews and the nice comments you make on my YouTube page and and on my Facebook and questions you ask on my Facebook pages. Now, as most of you all know, I upload my Zoom interviews on YouTube so you can see what my guests look like in real life. And I also put most of those on my Gangland Wire podcast Facebook group. And, and in regards to those Facebook groups, I've got two. One is the Facebook page, Gangland Wire Facebook page, and the other was my podcast group. And, and the group is smaller, and I, I monitor that pretty closely. So uh, get on that. Uh, I want to thank Ken Couture and several others for keeping fresh content on my Facebook page. If you want more mob information you can shake a stick at, just go to the Gangland Wire podcast Facebook group. And remember, if you support the podcast with donations, you'll get an invite to my monthly live Zoom calls where we'll share stories, answer questions, and sometimes have guest speakers. And in general, we have a good time. A lot of guys will be sitting back in their den with a cigar and, and a drink, and, and uh, we just have a really good time on those uh, uh, monthly Zoom calls. The main method of making a donation is on my website donate page. Uh, you can use a credit card or use PayPal. But you can also buy me a cup of coffee or shot in the beer with your Venmo app or make any donation that you want to make. Uh, if you do it on Venmo, make sure you get me an email if you want to be on my Zoom call. So I, I asked for donations to help do my next documentary, and a lot of you guys really responded big time. And, and I've been able to pay people, and it's going to have a little higher production values than what I've had before. I'm getting really close to completing it. Uh, it's about Kansas City organized crime and politics. I have a title, finally. It's Boat Fraud Here Again, Politics and the Mob. And don't forget about my previous documentaries, Gangland Wire, Skimming from Las Vegas, and Brothers Against Brothers, The Savella Spiro War. Both of those can be purchased or rented on Amazon. Now, finally, the last thing I'm selling, and then I'll, I'll leave you all alone, is my book, Leaving Vegas, the true story of how FBI wiretaps ended mob domination of Las Vegas casinos. Now, that title is a mouthful. Now, if you're going to get that book, you're going to find that I used a lot of the actual wiretap transcripts from the skimming investigation. And if you get the Kindle version, I got, I got the audios from those wiretaps. And you just click on a link and you'll go to that other website and it will allow you to listen to all those wiretaps. I think that's kind of unusual. So go to Amazon and get that book and get it in the Kindle version. And if you don't have a Kindle, Amazon has free Kindle software for your tablet or your phone. Uh, now I'm going to let you guys go, but first I want to say that Gangland Wire supports the Veterans Administration. They're programs that help veterans out with PTSD. You can get help with their hotline, 800-873-8255, and then push 1. Or you can go to their website, www.ptsd.va.gov. Thanks a lot for listening, and I must credit all of our music to our good friend and Frank Costello expert, Casey McBride from Portland, Oregon. Check out Casey's Frank Costello Facebook page, Uncle Frank's Place. Thanks, Casey.